This episode is brought to you by GovX, and as you know, I only have companies on here that I truly use and believe in myself, and GovX is a complete no-brainer. If you are a member of fire, police, EMS, corrections, military, and even hospital setting doctors and nurses, you qualify for the free membership to GovX, which marries us with discounts from so many companies that you probably already use. And on top of that, it's not just for active duty, but also retirees, veterans, and volunteers. So for our professions, having to purchase so much of our equipment, every single dollar counts. And understanding that, GovX has reached out to you, the Behind the Shield podcast audience, to offer you an additional saving. On your first purchase of $50 or more, if you use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, they will give you an additional $15 off your first purchase. And another layer of GovX is GovX Gives Back. Every month they're going to sell a different patch and the proceeds from that patch goes to a charity that supports either first responders or military. So as I mentioned before, go to GovX.com, G-O-V-X.com, register for your free membership and save every single time you purchase. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company I've used personally for well over a decade and continue to use to this day, and they are offering you, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount. Before I get to that, I want to highlight a couple of products. So footwear has been a big issue, and we all know that these heavy-duty work boots cause a lot of issues with joint health and fatigue. Listening to the responders in the field, the military in the field, 511 have reverse engineered and created some incredible footwear that is much more lightweight, just as durable, and minimizes both fatigue and damage to the joints. One of those is the Norris sneaker. I have a pair of those myself. They are incredible. And the other one is the AT trainer that has the Atlas system, which spreads the weight of the load over the entire foot, thus reducing fatigue and long-term damage. Aside from footwear, they have the backpacks. I have the AMP pack myself. Their civilian clothes, the jeans, the shorts, I absolutely live in these days. The flashlights are some of the brightest I've seen, and they last an incredibly long time on one charge. The list goes on and on. Now, because 5.11 cares about you, the tactical population, they are offering you a discount of 15% on every purchase that you make. So go to 5.11 Tactical, use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, and save 15% every time you shop. And if you want to learn even more about the company, listen to episode 338 with co-founder and CEO, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 397 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I am extremely excited to welcome on the show Todd Edwards and Danny Dwyer. So Todd and Danny sat down after I attended one of their classes at the Marion County Fools here in Ocala, and although I'd had them both on the podcast in the past individually, it was such an incredible dynamic to have them together face-to-face. So we discussed a host of topics from ownership, realism in training, leadership, COVID-19, special needs patients, and so many other areas. Before we get to that podcast, as I say, every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating elevates this project, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth, individually, organizationally. So all I ask in return is that you help pay it forward and share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person that needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Todd Edwards and Danny Dwyer, and happy holidays to you all.
right, so we are here in my house, Casa de Gearing, as I so cheesily say, even though there's no one of any Spanish origin whatsoever in here, um, on this new recording device. So hopefully this is going to work, and if it doesn't, then we're just going to waste about an hour and a half. <laughs> it's just a six-hour drive. It wasn't bad. Yeah. I would drive six hours. <laughs> All right, no, I think we're good. So um, I'm here with Danny Dwyer and Todd Edwards. Welcome. Thanks thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us in your home, too. Yeah, great. Well, thank you. So just to break the ice, open the conversation, I sat in on your class today. So tell me, you know, where you went to do the class and, and tell me the, you know, the class itself that you presented today. So um, several months ago, Sean Duffy reached out to me uh, via Instagram or Facebook and asked if we could come down and do the, our decision making class. So um, to back up a little bit. Um, I don't know where, I don't remember when we did the first podcast. I don't remember, was that March-ish? Yeah, I mean, it was... No, it had to be I, April, It I was think. The, the getting salty. It was right after you did that one. So right. That was. So, I, so it had to be early May then. But, you know, when when everything went down um, earlier this year, I asked Todd, I was like, help me write a class. A lot of people asked about, you know, more information about the call, what happened, the after effects. And so um, Todd's been a mentor of mine for a long time and he can teach to a couple hundred people and I don't, that's not my thing. <laughs> so I asked him to help me develop a program and we put our heads together and came up with a uh, decision-making and a safety culture and kind of how to navigate um, the current state of most fire departments, but still getting the mission done. So they came down and we did it for the Marion County Fools today. Beautiful. Now, when I was listening to the presentation, Todd, you were talking about one of the calls and Chief David Rose was on there too. So tell me about, you know, some of the, the firefighter rock stars, the mentors that you have, you know, you've had in Atlanta as you, you know, progress through your career. Um, on my end, um, you know, Todd was uh, a captain uh, at twenties when I came through the, uh, our fire Academy and did a lot of adjunct instructing down there. Uh, basically did the bulk of our class. Um, Chief Rhodes was down there at the time and then he made battalion and I was at, where was I? When did you make battalion chief? I, uh, I don't know. Long time ago. <laughs> anyway, we ran together for a number of, pretty much the 90% of my career. He was a responding battalion chief at this different, as I moved different stations, he was still there. And so, you know, we've taught a lot together. He's taught me a lot. Um, chief Rhodes taught me a lot. Uh, chief Wessels that was there that, you know, we talked about, uh, in Todd's portion of class this afternoon. And I just, I've been very thankful to have and reached out and surrounded myself with the right guys to give me the, a pretty, I hope what ended up being a tactically sound career so far. And, um, so yeah, it, you know, it's kind of, it's cool. To, and I, I, I don't know if you were still there or not, you know, if you would have told me two years ago, I was gonna be down in Ocala, Florida, teaching a class to 50 guys from a fool's chapter that came to listen to me speak and teaching alongside him. I'd have, I would have laughed you out of the room. I just did this, this whole thing that has happened after um, the incident in February where I was suspended. It's just, it's just mind boggling. The the outpouring of support and stuff like that. And being on with you a couple months ago, it's just, it's crazy. It's just strange how the world, uh, how the world spins. It is. I did tell you two years ago because I'm a Nostradamus type dude. So <laughs> I do remember. I'm going to be in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so with Todd, same thing with your career, just touching on some mentors. Before yeah, we kind of get I think stuck in. Uh, I, I came up under just, uh, some very veteran senior older captains. My uh, Captain Hester was my first captain coming out of recruit school. And then I had uh, Mike Hotesclaw, who I actually still speak with on a pretty regular basis. So, you know, you know Facebook and all those things. Um, and to be honest, just all the influences, it wasn't just, 
the older guys, but even today, and I, and I try to share this when I teach the younger guys, and we had a 19 year old kid today, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't say like a full blown mentor, but I always learned something from all these guys. It doesn't matter if you've been on the job for five seconds or, you know, 30 years. I, I always can pick up something because there's somebody right around the corner knows more than I do. Uh, Atlanta, I was so lucky to have uh, Captain Hoat's Claw. I had Ken Fisher as my boss, as God, lieutenant. He my, yeah, he was my captain for a while, too. Yeah, um, and really that list, you know, just about – I never worked for a really a bad boss. I, mean, I had one, and, you know, he was a full-blown idiot. And uh, But other than that, all my bosses I had during the course of my career, I had a, a captain that I learned more from than I never thought when I first made lieutenant. His name was Jeff Lovren. And uh, Lovern would literally, after a fire, time we got done with the overhaul, the family could move back in. That's the kind of overhaul. <laughs> he would work you to was. death. Absolutely work you to death. <laughs> but uh, just a true leader. And then all the guys I worked with as a young lieutenant, having senior guys teaching me how to be a boss. Because, I, you know, I just was following captains around. And all my senior guys really showed me the ropes more so than anybody else. So. Uh, I still consider Rody, uh, you know, David, one of my mentors, Chris, and all those guys that, uh, that Danny mentioned are still mentors to me. I still talk to those guys and get advice from them even today. Uh, hell, our union president, uh, Paul Gertis in Atlanta, has come to our program and given us both advice about what to say, what not to say. Right. So, yeah, I think all those guys. And he, he turned me on to you last year, earlier yeah. this year, you know. So it's interesting. And that brings a good point, what Todd was saying. It's like you pick up, I think if you're open-minded, you have the right uh, – thought process of going into this job you just you pick up stuff from everybody you know you really um i was as he's rattling off some of the older guys some of my first captains fisher was one of them i was uh drop one of his drivers uh several years ago the thing i loved about the old school captains that they didn't give a damn what you had on your collar if, if it felt like you needed an ass chewing they were going to go give one out to you and that was cool to see these captains go in the back office with the chief and read them the riot act if need be, like if they did something wrong. And I just remember thinking like, man, these guys had some stones on them. Like, how do you get to this point? And it's just, that's just who they were. And you picked up, uh, picked up a lot of stuff from some pretty salty captains back in the day. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm hearing for both of you is the mentor role. And, you know, again, not tarring the whole fire service with, with the same brush, but that's what I hear from, a lot of the people that turned a corner on the podcast, whether it's in the fire service, whether it's, you know, completely disassociated with what we do, um, but is that mentor role. And the one of the bad things I've seen in the fire service is a lot of um, lazy boy jockeys rolling their eyes and talking about <laughs> millennials and all this stuff. And, you know, a lot of these young men and women didn't grow up. I grew up on a farm, so I understood certain manual labor things but i'd never taken a saw apart to be honest you know we didn't do a lot of cutting when i was there it was a, a horse farm so i was out helping my dad do surgery um but so that kind of arrogance of not having the humility to teach uh, i've seen in areas and then obviously i've seen like just i did today with that room full of people that were totally inspired to be better versions of themselves the mentor role whether it's people they were amongst or whether it was watching you so what have you seen as far as um is there a lack of mentoring in some areas and also you know how do we how do we bring that back into the fire service get the more veteran guys to have the humility to understand that they might be the only mentor in this person's life i i honestly uh just being around so many instructors over the last 10 years 
I think there's more mentoring going on. I don't. I think that we we try to label things that we don't really need to label. Um, I know there's departments that really encourage having mentoring programs, but <clears throat> I've sat back and watched, uh, you know, true legends of this job, like the Ray McCormack's out of FDNY, the Mike Champos out of FDNY, the Chief Isons over, you know, right over here in Escambia County. They're mentoring without saying, I'm mentoring you. And I think a lot of it's, and I thought I really keyed in on something Danny said about if I'm open minded, I can be mentored by anybody. I can learn from anybody. And, you know, to say, you know, some guys need that official role or official titles in their organizations, that's great. But sometimes this, you know, kind of shutting up and listening goes a long way into mentoring people. And we have both positives and negatives. And we all learn from, are good and are bad. And just sometimes it's like Danny said, if you're open-minded, listen to your podcast, I pick up little things. And maybe somebody has nothing to do with public safety. But man, if you just shut up and listen sometimes, it's mind-boggling what you can learn if you allow yourself to be you know, that way and actually listen to other people sometimes. I think one thing that we're running into now um, because of a generational shift with people that are coming on the fire department. I think a lot of guys don't realize that they can be mentors because they've got five years on the job and they don't have 15. Um, the job, the, the job knowledge still has to be passed down no matter what. Right. But I think a lot of guys, some people want to be mentors so bad. They're, they're not passing down good information. They don't need to be there yet. And then I think a lot of people too are like, I've only got three years on the job. Like, what am I going to really teach the new guy? You know, um, there were very few senior firefighters, just tailboard firemen in Atlanta when I was there. Very few. Because of pay, everybody has got to promote quickly. So then you don't have the the true senior guy. A lot of companies did. Like some of the real solid companies, they had a guy they leaned on. Um, but then, you know, with me um, in my career, I don't know that I would be the best guy for that you know what I mean? So I don't think people realize that they're in that role. So a lot of times it's kind of like he said, unofficial mentoring when you're just going over how to take a saw apart and break it down and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's kind of a generational thing. And there's a lot of young guys coming up right now, you know, so that's my take on it, I guess. Yeah. Well, and it's, <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, I don't see it as a as a role, a labeled role either. But I yeah. think, you know, there's a lot of this. Um, looking down the nose and say, well, you have an opportunity to teach. Like I said, you know, I mean, I learned today. I will put my hands up and, and say when you asked about type building construction, yeah. I knew it off the top of my head. Not anymore. It fell out. And I was like, fuck, what is it? He rings up so many people with that. He's like, this class and you see everybody just starts. So I was like, oh boy, this but is that's, long. But that's another element though. So what I've learned, I don't have a good ability to retain information. Never have. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I record everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so with whether it's the medic stuff, whether it's ropes and knots, whether it's, you know, you strapping a Stokes basket properly, whatever it is, I have to do that repetition. And what one of the things I got from the presentation when we talk about training is there's also a, a kind of tendency to to imagine these crazy scenarios instead of going back to just like you said, can you pull a flat lay without it being spaghetti on the floor? You know, right. these basics. But that's not sexy drilling it over and over and over again. But if you can do a high shoulder 24 throw in the middle of an alleyway, you know, that's a very, very important skill. But on the back of the, the bay, 
that you've done it you know a thousand times that doesn't look very exciting so what is what is your view on the importance of the basics rather than getting too kind of imaginative with training you're, you're probably the best basics engine just basic engine stuff you know um that's that's the bread and butter like the tech rescue stuff's great i i, I have a passion for it i enjoy it um but it, when you break it down like todd was saying earlier we're the, we're the fire department we are there to for suppression right now we've evolved into ems and other things but there will always be some sort of an ambulance coming to take you to the hospital there's only one fire department coming there's the engines are there to do engine work and truck work and the basics get lost especially when you're not actively doing it not actively going to fires and putting hose on the ground regularly those are the guys that need to be doing it probably more frequently just in a training session so yeah the basic stuff you know, that gets lost a lot because you get, like you said, you get people into these crazy scenarios with, you know, rigging systems and, and all that's got its place. And when those low frequency events happen, you need to have your shit squared away. But you also need to have your shit squared away on the basic stuff, too. That's at the end of the day, that's our primary, in my opinion, our primary response, you know. And, you know, for I know people get tired of hearing basics and basics and drilling on basics, but. For our, all the fires you've been to, James, all the fires Danny's been to, the calls I've been to, what skill set did we always use at every single fire? Basics. Basics. <laughs> right. And that's where we screw up a lot. It's, and we, it's, so it's we should be basic spot shit. on. We should be absolutely – we're not always going to be perfect and everything, but good God, we should be able to perfectly don our PPE, our SCBAs, our, you know, stretching a hose line, throwing the ladder like you spoke of. Um we should be spot on on that. There's, we should not have a moment where our guy's out there struggling to put on his air pack, but you do see it. Um, so yeah, basics, like I said, they may not be sexy, but nobody listening, nobody in the fire service has ever gone to a fire where they didn't have to use a whole bunch of basic skills before they got to anything fancy. <laughs> right. But at the same time, you say it's not sexy, but at, the, at two o'clock in the morning, there's nothing better as an officer to see a line coming off perfect. Like that's what I want. I want to see methodical, like just a well-oiled machine. And when it's not, then I can't do what needs some of the stuff that I need to be done. Or I have to step back from what I'm doing from a command perspective, or from a, you know officer's perspective and fix the piss poor hose lay that was, you know, that wasn't done correctly because of somebody, you know, either wasn't practicing, you had a fill in or you're filling in somewhere. You know, we did a lot of uh, covering of other engine companies as officers there. So a lieutenant would fill in if you go to a sorry company for the day and it always happened. You go somewhere with a bunch of idiots or people working overtime and you end up having a fire and it's a mess. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, again, just basic stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Well, you, you had this scenario of the, the high rise. And it's funny, the guy you asked was in the department that I had left most recently. Mm -hmm. And the building next to me was a 28th floor. But, you know, what you, what you were asking about, you know, okay, first option is you go to the standpipe. Okay, that doesn't work. Then you're talking about, you know, elevated host stream using a, a truck. That doesn't work. But again, those are still basics, you know, up through the stairwell. That's a basic, you know, up the ladder, as you were saying, dropping the hose line down. The female and hoisting back up, which I know some people frown upon. I like that person. <laughs> works really well. But those are all um, taking the basics and then applying them in a different way. And that's what I found is some people kind of want to write an SOP for every single scenario, but you can't do that because you don't know the way it's going to unfold. But then there's others on the other side where 
they have no fucking SOPs for anything. So right. then it's a complete cluster. So it's, you know, that finding that middle line where, as you said, you've got all the basics and, you know, the, the preset lays drilled so that then when things start going sideways, you can say, all right, this thing that we normally do, apply it this way. But you're not having to reinvent the wheel then. Yeah, we had, we had, so we were talking about that on the way down this morning. Um, we had a, I would say we were pretty heavily laden with policies and guidelines, but the guidelines were, Exactly that. They gave us leeway as OICs and as officers to make what, you know, to make changes within on the fire ground that need to be made. They weren't like, hey, set in stone, you got to do X, Y, and Z. But they kind of gave us like the policies were written kind of as a map. And, you know, as things unfold, it's like, okay, you can do X, Y, and Z, or you can flip flop, you know, your first truck to the roof, second truck inside, you know, whatever needed to be done. So it, I think that, like you said, the, the key is to find the balance. But I think with the right author, Maybe it you can do that and still have plenty that, but you're going to cover most of your bases. I guess is what I'm trying to say. But um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But. No, I agree. I, I agree with uh, what James said. What you said, you know, you can also over policy shit to death too. I mean, yeah. Atlanta to you know Atlanta and other organizations I've been involved in. Do I really need a four page policy on housework? But most apartments have plenty of SOPs about cleaning the the bathroom, but very few on stretching the first tack line. <laughs> so right. it's, it's funny how we operate sometimes. Oh, you know, I think uh, I say that in the class all the time. We're we are the we are so amazing as a group of people, but we're also the most odd group of people in the world <laughs> with things we worry about, things we complain about. And things that we will do and go. I'm always amazed about uh, what firefighters will do to get the job done. They, whether there's a, it's a policy thing or, you know, going that extra, you know, oh, I can go 10 more feet or, you know, whatever the case is. It's, uh, policies are great. And I think you, there should be policies, but I think there should be more of a focus on not pigeonholing a boss. You know, you, I made you a lieutenant or a captain for a reason. I, I, you should be able to do your damn job without – citing you know sop chapter section 455 you should already know that shit mm-hmm. so absolutely well i know in in the the wellness world the fitness world there's a guy julian pinot who i had on who's a um he's the founder of strong fit like a strong man based movement mm-hmm. system the guy's a mad scientist a genius but he talks about movement principles nutrition principles rather than this is how you should eat this is how you should right move. And that's kind of how i right. see the fire service yeah like the principle is there's someone in there you got to get them out you know obviously here you have tools and you have things that aren't going to get your people killed but if you micromanage too much you it's kind of paralysis by analysis on the fire ground and that's going to hamstring a lot of people with the organization i just left i think in the near future um unfortunately because of that incident there are guys now that watched this whole thing unfold that are now going to wonder at two o'clock in the morning when they were dead asleep six, seven minutes earlier, are they going to get in trouble for the move they're about to make on a fire ground? And that sucks. I mean, you're, you're really going to jam some people up and cause, I mean, you could loss of life injuries. I mean, there's, there's a, you can run the gamut on that one. And I, and I think that that's going to be a problem for them, unfortunately, in the near future. Yeah. Well, you got a lot of dead police officers right now. I didn't pull that weapon when they should have because of, you know, the, the few that actually yeah. did it the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think our, uh, unfortunately, uh, with our society, the way it is at times, I don't, I would not want as a police officer to have to second guess 
in those situations because there's that second that they're guessing they're they're literally taking their lives in their hands every time they have to wonder well am i going to get you know fire am i going to be on you know fox news for the next three months you know in slow-mo video and or uh, worst case is where the videos get edited and the whole story doesn't come out till months and months later. Uh, um, and the same with fire service. If I've got a company officer shows up at a two-story wood frame and he's got to think about, well, I get in trouble for this decision. We're gonna lose. We're gonna lose. You know, civilians obviously, and we're gonna get firefighters more apt to get hurt or injured because my company officers scared to make a decision. And that, I think that's a that's a very dangerous line where that certain fire departments walk all over this country. Yeah. Well, it's, it was interesting as well. You're talking about, um, you know, the one near miss that you had and, you know, the all the elements. It was great that you broke down the elements that contributed to that, including mm-hmm. fatigue and ego and some of these other ones. But you also had the um, you fall to your level of training quote from the, the Navy SEALs. Yes. And. I've had a few conversations with people, some who were, um, you know, like psychology, sports psychology background, and we're talking about the flow state. And the three components, I'm going to hope I don't butcher this now. One is stress, <laughs> which we have anytime. One is um, the actual, uh, I guess, element of calm within the person. So having the confidence, you know, breathing properly, all those things. And then the other one is level of training. So I had like a baseball player, for example, that remembers his flow. I actually had a flow moment in his martial artist. Um, so to me, when I was listening and thinking about that, most of the fires I've been in some sort of a flow state because it's too late. Mm-hmm. You can't think now. You just got to act. You got to be aware. You can't be stupid. But, you know, it's not the time to critique and break down. And as you said, start making these these decisions. You've got to go with your gut, go what you see. And as, even in that one fire that you had, you were still relying on all the other fires that you'd had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the more fear there is to make a bad decision the more sops you have binding you the less chance you have to get in that flow state whether it's working a code whether it's structure fire extrication and then like you said the performance is actually going to be detrimental then yeah i mean again i think there i'm sure there's you know i know there's a lot more uh, more intelligent people that can speak to those things not but around this table <laughs> <laughs> there's somewhere else tonight but <laughs> I think that, that again, we, we make, I, I honestly believe this, and I've said this for, I remember hearing my captains and bosses, we sometimes make shit harder than it has to be. <laughs> and, and I think that's even more so now. Uh, some of the captains of me and Danny were mentioning, um, uh, Mike uh, is the perfect example, Hose Claw, and uh, there's so many of them, they wouldn't survive in today's fire service or they wouldn't survive in certain organizations. They, they, they would literally be terminated within the first six seconds of them walking to a firehouse. Uh, the captains ran the fire station I mean, the chief didn't run our fire station. The captain ran the fire station. And, um, that was just how it was, you know, the captain decided who worked at his fire stations. Um, very few departments do that. Now I know FDNY still has a lot of that tradition, uh, especially on the rescues where they're choosing their people. And I love that concept that, you know, if you're going to be on the busiest, best units, you got to be able to pick your own people. Um, other departments, it's based on who, you know, not what, you know. So, and I think that affects our decision-making too. When you look behind you go, I do not want this idiot behind me tonight. Right. But you didn't have to say so. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that, because I mean, that, you know, I think that this is a good thing. We're able to speak freely tonight just because of where we are now mm-hmm. and you know, the journey you guys have been on. Um, what are some of the, the ways we can improve 
ourselves because we're all we all absolutely need to be improved especially when we look at the weaker ones i me personally when i look at it i look at the hiring standards seems to let a lot on training standards absence of fitness evaluations things like that through your eyes how do we elevate the fire service to make as many people um, as possible who show up on the fire ground be that person that you're glad is on the hose line behind you i i mean you hit the nail on the head the first thing comes with hiring I mean, in, in training, um, you know, a lot of organizations are, you know, it's a simple, um, it's, well, it's not, I guess it's gone away from a civil service based position. Um, you go take a test, you put in your application and you know, you hit the nail on the head all the time. He talks about minimum company standards all the time. It's like, why are we doing minimum stuff? Like this is, you know, we're paid professionals. They pay us a fairly decent amount of money. Most of the places in the country to do this every third day or, you know, whatever your schedule might be. But, you know, the groups of people that were coming through the recruit schools that were coming through shortly before I left were just like mind boggling. Like you'd have 35, 40 people in a class and five of them might end up being a solid firefighter, solid officer and stay the course and stay their career. We, I don't know at what point, like when I first started, I got hired at 19. I was never going to do anything else. This is all, this is, this was it. And you have people now that are like, ah, well, I'm just. I'm going to get a job here for a couple of years until I go to nursing school or something like that. I was like, when did this become a pit stop? Like when did the fire department, plus it takes six, eight, nine months, a year to get hired and then go through a full recruit school and then EMT school and all this. And it just became a pit stop. And I don't know when that happened. Um, hopefully it's not like that everywhere, but it's just uh, the people that are being hired now are just, I, I don't know if they're there for the wrong reasons or, but I, I think that's that's the step number one is is tightening up the hiring standards. And you talk about it a lot with um, your former departments and everything and how one bar was set super high and then there was no bar at all on the other one. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of a big of a bar in Atlanta, in my opinion. You know, a lot of guys set themselves up to be successful, but there was nothing saying you had to do X, Y, and Z. It was just mediocrity was, we bred mediocrity there. And, you know, and I think a lot of places do that. Um, they allow it you know, pour gas on it sometimes. And so, yeah, I, that would be my first thing is tighten up hiring restrictions and make it, you know, I, again, we, we're are also kind of our own worst enemy. We don't, maybe we're not making it cool anymore. I, maybe, maybe people are just, it seems like the, the type of person that's coming on now is just, is off the walls from different than when I started. I feel like, I don't know. Now, what do you think about the pool? I've had, um, you know, like Tim Kennedy, for example, um, from the uh, Green Beret background, talking about their pool of candidates has become smaller. And when you look at, you know, I'll just pick on my area. You know, we're in, we're in Central Florida here, um, not Huntington Beach, California. We're not known for people walking around in board shorts and having abs and stuff. Um, there is a lot of obesity. There's a lot of inactivity, regardless of if they're obese. Just looking at the... the um, the posture of some of these young men and women. Um, do you think that our pool of of potential good candidates is smaller just because of the way society is moving less and eating worse at the moment? I, I think all those you could you could lump um, probably all aspects. Uh, honestly, what I've seen uh, from that pool is. More guys, more fit that have come on to the job. I mean, I'm, you know, guys walking and saying, I'm like, holy crap, look at the size of this kid. You know, six foot, 200 pounds, doesn't have, you know, 1% body fat. And, you know, when I came on, <laughs> you could, you know, 
smoking the firehouse, smoke on the rigs, you know, drinking, coming in with a little reek of alcohol. That is just norm. Uh, and, you know, now you got to Allegedly. You know, <laughs> now you got to figure out how you're going to eat dinner because you got a guy on keto and a kale diet and a turkey only diet. And yeah. So I, I, think it, I think it does vary. I think society um, as a whole, yeah, you do see. I, I agree, you know, this – the, when I go to conferences, you go to the big ones like the FDICs and the firehouse and you see the guy that weighs 300 pounds with his I fight with your you fear T-shirt on, but his belly's hanging below the T-shirt. Maybe he shouldn't be on the job anymore. Uh, but I, I have seen a, a, a drastic, I, I, the pool that we do get, um, even if they're not maybe coming on the job for the exact right reasons, that's where I think officer development's got to be stronger in the American fire service. I just, you know, you're there for five years, you take your little test and now you're the boss, but have we trained you how to actually be a boss? Uh, you can do all the paperwork, you know, what form to fill out, you know, who to call if there's a boo-boo or something breaks, how to write someone up. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, I, look, I always tell people that you could, my wife is five times more intelligent than I am. I could hand her the study material. She'd oh, ace the absolutely. test. She would ace the test. Now, when I said, when she had to do a practical part and saw something on fire, she'd, you know, piss her pants and yell for me. But allegedly, yeah, yeah. she's going to tell you when she hears this. But I think we need to do a better job overall in the fire service at times. And I, and I hear chiefs and I talk to, you know, when I do classes that that seems to be a big struggle because nobody really knows where to go or how to do it or they only take it to one level, but there's multiple. It, it's an ongoing process. I still, um, I was talking to Dennis Laguerre, uh, last year and he, he says now when he was with Oakland fire, he'd be a better officer today than he was when he was an officer because of all the opportunities of learning from all these guys like, you know, the mics and, you know, all these guys across country. And, you know, I looked at that statement, and, you know, and he told me this two years ago and I said, man, that's so true. I know I'd be a better boss now than I was when I retired two years ago, just based on being around more and more guys all the time. Yeah. So it's interesting in how we don't always develop the next generation and when should we develop uh, there's a 19 year old kid. I don't know if you saw him in the room today, mm-hmm. That I was talking to, we need to start developing him now. I'm not talking about let him start being in charge of shit, but how do we, if we don't start working with him now to be a good boss, five years from now, he's going to be in charge of other people's lives. And I think that's the part we forget that you're not just in charge of a fire engine and some mops and stuff. You're in charge of human beings' lives, you're in charge of their families' lives. If I'm your boss and Danny's boss, I'm in charge of you your family, your wife, your son, your dogs. I affect all my decisions can affect you and affect your entire family. We have to develop our officers and know what they really are being a boss for. It shouldn't be about pay raises. It should really be about what you're doing and what, how you can better the next generation of, of leaders. And we don't always do a good job of that. Yeah. No, and that's something I've seen. I, when I was in Anaheim, I had the 10, 10, five plan in my head. 10 as a firefighter, 10 as a captain, and 5 as a BC. Mm-hmm. And firstly, I moved, <clears throat> excuse me, I moved away. So I was kind of back in the bottom. But when I got to the 10-year mark, I'm like, fuck no. I, I, a, I love being a fireman anyway. And B, again, I didn't feel ready. And mm-hmm. it's not, you know, each to their own. Some people are just, 
they they get that leadership role. That's what they want. I I can't think of anything worse than standing outside with a radio in my hand. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's horrible and rewarded depending on how the fire's gone. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so but it made me realize, you know, like you said about being, um, you know, a, a better leader now. It's the same thing. Like you know, at the end of the the fourteen years, seeing how to do it right, how to do it wrong. That was, you know, obviously when I, I'd learned the most and was the most calm, but I still had so much more to learn. Like mm-hmm. just sitting there today, like, you know, relearning, you know, things I've forgotten, that kind of thing. But I I think one of the dangers that we see, and I've seen in my career, it's slowly starting to happen, is that s- speedy promotion because of a pay scale. Yeah, And I don't absolutely. think five years on the job, unless you're at, Orange County 50 or one of these that's running 20 plus calls mm-hmm. a shift and getting a fire every week, two weeks, your learning curve is a little steeper. Maybe, maybe you are, but the average, you know, moderate to, to quieter fire station, I don't think five years is no, long enough. As not. you said, with that responsibility, you might not just be at a fire. You might be the first on the Vegas shooting mm-hmm. or the World Trade Center. And that's you. You're IC until yeah. someone else gets there. You're it. And that's uh, we were we were talking with one of the guys a little while ago about that, and uh, you know that was my big thing when I made lieutenant in Atlanta. Um, I think I had probably about fourteen years total of service between the um, where I started and downtown, and I thought I was like, well, you know, I think I can probably. I haven't seen everything, obviously, but I should be able to make the best decision for the three other people and myself on the rig. If not, know when to pull the plug or call for help. Um, but there were a lot of people, and I had nine years in some busy companies downtown before that happened, but there are guys that have five years in a day that can read a book. And next thing you know, they're in charge of people. And I don't think people take the gravity, like Todd was talking about, of, of the ripple effect. If you screw up, that affects your son, your wife, your dog. You know, it, it affects everybody. It's not just about having a red helmet riding in the riding shotgun on an engine and getting to boss people around. It's so little about that. Um, he was my, I guess you're my BC right when I made Lieutenant. I mean, I, you know, tactically, I think I was pretty squared away admin side of it. The actual being a boss, I was terrible at. <laughs> <laughs> a little you shaky know. on that tactical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you grow, you learn and, and, you know, everybody talks about all the stuff, the good stuff. I learned more from fuck ups on my end and watching other people screw up than I ever did from the successful outcomes. Those kind of like, Oh, cool. We had, you know, good job. High five. But I learned more from my mistakes and other watching other people make mistakes than I have anything else ever. Like I, I, that's, that's was our defining moments because, you know, we're talking about ego earlier and, you know, I have pride. I don't want to look bad. I don't want to sound bad. I don't want, I have, you know, feelings. I don't want people to be pissed at me or, you know, but so when I screw up, I beat myself up hard about it. Um, so yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, uh, interesting thought process. Yeah. And I'll not totally, I agree. And I disagree with what he's saying. I think personally, you learn more from your mistakes from a personal level. And I think the fire service has kind of got so focused on, you know, watching a YouTube video of a company really screwing the pooch. And, and those are great learning moments too, but I think we also need to look at our successes when you see a successful, I, I love when I see successful grabs. I'll watch that video 10 times. I'll watch the screw up video just for laughs and giggles, but watching a crew throw, I, I just watched one that had dual ladders up on the building, made a great grab and it was spot on. 
And I was like, man, I forgot dual ladders, dual ladders. And, you know, so when I'm teaching those client classes, I want to put, I put, I immediately made a note, dual ladders. So I just had kind of gotten away from it. Um, so yeah, I think we should learn obviously from mistakes, mistakes of others, but damn, let's hold each other up a little bit and let's learn from each other when we have those huge, those great successes. I consider what the Danny incident, the Danny incident, a great success to a degree. Uh, DJ Stone in Fort Walton Beach. I mean, that's a great success story of, uh, of making that grab, uh, with a, you know, a three person engine company all by themselves making a VI, VS grab and the most humble guy you ever talked to. Uh, and it was funny talking to him the very next day when I spoke with him. First words out of his mouth. Oh, I should have did this. I should have did this. I should have did this. And that immediately, that's another one of those, you know, I don't work with the guy, but I consider him a teacher just by sharing that to me. I was like, Man, it's so humbling to hear after a great rest. He didn't even say, look at me, look at my rescue. He said, man, I should have did this a little bit better. I should have tried this a little bit better. And that's awesome. I love that's to me, that's like the yeah. sign of such a good, a good leader. You know, it's just being able to, you know, you don't pat yourself on the back. like, man, I could have improved on X, Y, and Z. Even though it was successful, she walked away. Yeah. You know, um, to, to take back and go, oh, well, yeah, but this could have been done a little bit better. Like that to me, I love, I love hearing people hearing stories about people that say stuff like that it's cool yeah well i mean the humility is so important i mean we are a jack of all trades master of none mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean you look you add the medic patch in you add you know tech rescue oh, i mean you look at the the set of skills that we're supposed to maintain how can you not go away thinking i want to do that a little differently even even the most ridiculous you know nothing fires like i've <laughs> i've had one where you know we were just doing overhaul i grabbed papers but i dropped it right in front of the vent fan and the papers, you know, just even things like that, you know, just there's always but something see, you to remember that. You can say that again. That's a thing. That's a, it's a learning, teachable moment, I guess I call it. Like, so, but no, but with with the not even so much the mistakes, but the lessons learned, um, I found there's a lot of sweeping under the carpet that I see going on too. And I'll, I'll classic example because it's in the paper, so I can say it. The pulse shooting, which I'm about to do a three episode interview three oh, wow. three perspective interview because that they, they gagged everyone in that mm-hmm. so none of us got to learn what went right what didn't go right what can we use what should we probably not use it was just like all hushed up well that shooter went to down to disney springs which was my first jew at the time now i was actually overseas when it happened but that would have been mine when he massacred all these you know men women and children in a disney property and when i came back there was no mention of it I actually got chewed. I was like, they bit back, like, oh, we told him about it once. I'm like, it's not about telling me. Like, what the fuck <laughs> right. are we going to do to make sure that we're right. ready? Right. That was a huge near miss. Nothing. Didn't want to hear about it. Didn't want to do anything. So, yeah. So, you know, and, and that's why I, I want to apply pressure from the outside in because we have to be ready. That's not even grown ups. We're talking about children hanging right. on to their little Mickey dolls and, you know, walking through the park, getting murdered by automatic weapons. You know, I mean, if you're not ready for that, then for fuck's sake. So, but then you, so that's, that's the thing that I've noticed is that the, the good departments have the humility to own their mistakes. Right. Charleston, perfect example. Yeah. They yeah. told the story. They reinvented their department. Kudos yes. to them. One yeah. of the best ones, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the Meadowwood Court fire in Loudoun County, Virginia was one of the very first case studies I remember reading. It's probably been 10, easy 10 years ago now. Yeah. Um, they had a mayday. They had a bunch of guys bail out. I think everybody went yeah, back everybody to work. Lived. Yeah, everybody One looked. They had some go guys. Back to work. Oh, he didn't. Okay, yeah. so significant burn injuries, like haywire. Well, the neighbor across the street, 
you know, everybody, when they film fires, they, they got this and they get the mailman coming down the street. This dude had it like pointed on the house. They got great video footage. They laid the audio from uh, communications and, the, and all the responding equipment over the top of it with a timeline. I mean, it was phenomenal. And I was like, these people don't want you. And they shared it for everybody. Uh, the guy that was in charge of the incident has spoken at MAFC a couple times um, and gone over his case study. But that was one of the first ones. And that's what I wanted with the incident that I had last year. I was like, look, I don't care about the punishment. I don't care about this. I just don't want this to get lost because we can learn so much. You know, you don't have to go back and talk about it and draw it on a chalkboard. We have video, we have, you know, the footage, the video taken from the first new engine driver, you know, we had still photos, we had all these things like, let's learn about this. There were some mistakes made. There was also some really good stuff done. And I asked one of the first meetings I had with the fire chief uh, last summer was, I was like, look, you know, give me the tools. I don't know how to write a class. I don't know how to write policies, but I was like, give me whatever, let me, give me the leeway. And if, if we have to, we can put it on target solutions. Cause you know, getting people to rotate through, you know, when you got that many companies downtown, getting people to rotate through that, that'd take probably nine months to rotate everybody through. So I get, we don't have that, but like, let's put this out there. Yeah. 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 Lou, we're going to, we're going to work on that. <laughs> and had I not retired and I wouldn't, I still wouldn't be talking about it. You know, they would, they would be, I'm sure they're probably still turning flips right now about it. Um, but that was one of the things that, you know, it was down the list of deciding factors to retire, but that was one of the benefits. Like, look, we, we can do something good with this. Um, you know, and I don't want the guys to make the same mistakes that were made on that incident, but I also want to point out the things that were good. You know, the fact that the guy, the Nosman left the line open, you know, all those good things, the equipment stuff that went down. So yeah, you know, uh, San Bernardino, California, they do a lot. They, they put a lot of good content out on their Facebook page, good helmet cam stuff. So, you know, the biggest thing is we got, there's everybody's got takeaways. Everybody's got good stuff that happens, bad stuff that happens. And we should not be hiding behind mistakes. People make mistakes all the time. That's what we were talking about earlier. Everybody's human. It's going to happen. You know, it's how you pick up and move forward that, you know, shows you what kind of person you are or department or organization sometimes. So, yeah, and that was a good lesson uh, when Dennis Rubin was still the fire chief in Atlanta and we had a line of duty death. Uh, Stephen Solomon in 2006 was killed at a house that was 32 by 31 vacant homeless people um just overall bad incident fire took off the whole bit um i was on duty i wasn't at the fire but i was on duty and immediately after steven was transported to the burn unit uh the fire chief came to the i was captain at stage 20 time and said hey we're gonna do a class on this and this is the guy had been in the hospital for more than a couple hours and he's already looking ahead. Um, and I disagreed with him at a time, you know, I was a fairly young captain. I thought, man, you know, chief, we all, you know, let's let the dust settle. And he said, no, Monday, this was on Thursday on Thanksgiving evening when Steven uh, was uh, injured. And he said, no, Monday, you, you're going to be at that house doing this class. And Okay. <laughs> and I disagree. I really thought it was the wrong move. Um, the time we got to Sunday, the rumors were so bad, you know, of, of, you know, the guys who were operating at the fire, uh, you know, a lot of bad information started circulating around and I was like, oh yeah, we didn't. So I literally whiteboarded a class with the radio traffic in front of the house, the incident occurred in, and we rotated every single company in Atlanta through that, that fire. Um, and Within a month, I thought, man, the smartest move I've ever seen made to get ahead of this, not hide from the mistakes, 
but immediately admit that there was a lot of mistakes that night that ended up, you know, resulting in, in a firefighter Solomon, you know, dying from his injuries. Um, and being a part of that, you know, I'd spend my whole day out there, then go back to the station in the night. And then the fire chief took the next step and opened it up. And we, we rotated close to 4,000 firefighters to that house and did that whole class. And we did it for months and months and months. And, uh, the benefit really paid off uh, about six months into it. A company from DeKalb County came to the class that night that had almost an identical fire and recognized it and all of them got out safely. So I was like, he was right. I mean, he was, he was, he was right in that case. And, it, uh, you know, the, that's where I, I love what you guys were talking about that. We can't hide from it. Yeah, let's let's get out in front. Good and the bad. We're all gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna be great some days, and, <clears throat> and uh, some of us are gonna have bad days too. This is part of this job. And if you can't if you can't relate to that as a leader, you shouldn't be a boss. If you, you know, if you come to work thinking you're perfect, you shouldn't be a boss. Yeah, I think that's why the tailbone critique is so important too. Oh, from yeah. from uh, what do we do? You know, what could we have done better? But also, good job. Like yeah. I. I I think I got like one or two cite, unit citations or whatever through my whole career. But at those times, the people given to them, it wasn't worth a shit. Like the one department I worked for, they gave out unit citations to the hiring class because they put out tables and chairs for an event. <laughs> yeah, it loses <laughs> some You know what I mean? Start, yeah. So yeah. toilet looked good. Here's a unit citation. <laughs> <laughs> but the chief or the captain or the lieutenant or the engineer or the fellow firefighter that looks you square in the eyes and said, you did a good job. That is worth everything. So I think that tail, taking that time to go on the tailboard and just talk. I love, I love loading hose too. What a great place oh, to yeah. just, yeah. just talk. Yeah. You know, and, and laugh about, you know, when I would drop the papers in the fan, you know, whatever it was. That, <laughs> I mean, oh my God, I went to a tweaker house once in Orange County, California, and they had a fire there. And the guy had put like bath tile even on his driveway. So when the hoses started flowing, it was like an ice, ice rink. It was freaking oh, wow. hilarious. So there's so many funny things too. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's also the time to take everyone in and be like, Hey, you know, you know, when, when you didn't sound the roof, well, Hey, that was actually underneath. Here's the roof. This is what you were standing on, you know, and right. take this. Once you leave, you miss that it. training opportunity for yeah. that immediate crew true too. But that's like you were saying, you know, we've, we've gone back and forth for years about, you know, whether we need to be put in for citations for this and that. I think you're the, the pat on the back and the good job from the guys you work with is worth more than any coin or any uh, pin to put on your shirt. And uh, a guy that retired from the city, uh, Rick Myers, he, he did a podcast with some friends of ours a while back and I think it was called getting the nod. That's what he wanted. That was getting the nod from the captain. Good job was worth more than anything else. And I, I, maybe I'm butchering what he said. I know he said something about getting the knob, but that, that to me is more important than anything. But it came you from know, Rick. You probably had like four hours of something, and then right. there was one good sentence in there. Squirrel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, the the thing is, like, it, and the other side of that, I remember uh, when I was still a driver, a lot of the guys are like, oh, we don't, need a, we don't need a coin for that. We don't need this. We don't need that. I'm like, look, dude, they're going to give it to somebody. Like, there's the other side. The, the award's going out. So do you want somebody getting a Medal of Valor for a bullshit call or should you get it because you pulled somebody out of a house fire and then walked out of the hospital like i know we don't want we don't go out seeking glory like that but damn they're gonna give it to somebody you might as well you know so there's <laughs> there's both sides of it i guess mm -hmm. now speaking of that I, I might be you know poking the bear a little bit what's your opinion on asking for recognition or hazard pay for responding to covid19 patients i um <laughs> am, i got it <laughs> 
I, I don't think that um, hazard. What we're already getting hazard pay. Oh, you're that's saying our, that what we do is dangerous already? Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Now, is this <laughs> unprecedented? Yeah. Last pandemic, I think, was about a hundred years ago. Um, I'm not going to even get into the political side of the COVID stuff, but no, I don't think we should get hazard pay. Um, I don't know what Atlanta is doing now, as far as like I think they were giving out extra hours, so if you did get sick, you could use your COVID leave to supplement your paycheck instead of having to burn sick leave or so something. That, and that's a great idea. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, not a bad thing. I don't know how they're doing it. Um, DeKalb County next door to the city had a pretty swinging. Th- I mean, those guys were making comp time, like hand over fist. Like I think they were getting, getting 24 for the 24 they worked. So no, I don't think we should get hazard pay. Um, it, it's, this is what we do. You just, you know, manage it and move on, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll flip that around in a sec. But Todd, you said you got an opinion first. Yeah, it's it's bullshit. I mean, <laughs> it's just, I think, you know, hazard pay for, um, I think the people that worked at Kroger deserved a lot more hazard pay than we did. I mean, they were, they were, they were you know, the grocery stores and all the, they were being exposed to God knows who and what. We kind of signed up for hazard. You yeah. know, <laughs> going to work's a hazard. Riding a fire truck's a hazard. You already, I agree with Dan. We're already getting hazard pay. You're getting a paycheck. Um, and I don't want to take any money from the guys. I mean, you know, hell, get every dime you can, especially if you're, you know, a smaller department or even a big department who's underpaid. Yeah, give them a little bit of extra bonus. But um, I think there's other ways. I, I agree with the time. You know, do not charge it. If you get exposed to COVID on the job, and you got to burn two weeks of leave, then no, you don't, you should not be charged any of your time. Right. You know, that's, that's an unforeseen hazard, obviously, because we weren't expecting a, a worldwide pandemic. But, you know, I saw, you know, the, you know, the people working in restaurants, you know, the ones that were allowed to be open, uh, the grocery stores and all that. Those people were taking some risk yeah, to they're, do they're their not damn jobs to, for us. You know, and I don't know if they really got the recognition they deserved. You know, our nurses that were working ungodly amounts of hours, not so much hazard pay, but, you know, th- those are the folks I thought really deserve a lot of recognition in, yeah. in a lot of ways. There, there's a lot of people out there are taking a hell of a lot more risk without all the PPE we have access to than uh, we were taking. Yeah. At times, it really, I did again. That's you know my my you know bullshit opinion, but it's my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason why I asked that because um you know you said in the in the presentation as well that COVID has taken more firefighters this year than yeah, it's anything bad. else. So when this first started, I did a video saying that I was concerned because you know a lot of what I talk about with the shifts, the sleep deprivation, and how it causes everything else that kills us mm-hmm. that. The people that we're leaning into in this, the firefighters, police officers, medics, nurses, doctors, are the most sleep-deprived people. And these are the ones. So, you know, it it was sad, but it wasn't surprising at all. So even though I don't think you should have hazard pay, and I hate the way they, they you know, phrase that, because, again, it seems like it's always about money in the fire service. I wish there would be a push now to go, well, look, you've been working us to death, literally, Maybe it's time we look at the work week now. Maybe yeah. the Northeast is onto something. They're doing a 2472 as an industry standard. So next time you have a fucking pandemic, the people that you're relying on aren't dropping like flies because they're already dying from all the shit that they're going through anyway. Well, I think we, you know, a lot of places and, um, you know, right here in the pan, you know, in the panhandle, uh, you know, the busiest department in the panhandle, the county department, they're making under $11 an hour. 
to to run into burning buildings and to be there for people and um so these guys aren't just underpaid and they come to work every day and they bust their ass to to do their job but after they're 24 48 there they're working another job you know to support their family uh and that's to me you know if we want to draw itself yeah the our 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 politicians and our and our leadership in some of our cities, county governments fail us all the time. Fail the American Fire Service, they fail our police officers, and there's going to come a time where that pool <clears throat> is going to get even thinner. <clears throat> you know, you can't you can't have a car and a home on eleven bucks an hour. No, that's what the uh, the MT Fire EMTs when I moved here so not too long ago, they had a couple of bumps recently. They were on nine fifty an hour firefighter emt yeah and so again you hear this upheaval like oh minimum wage 15 for flipping a burger yeah right. think so. <laughs> but then here's another way of looking at it maybe that wouldn't be bad if you actually fucking paid the people that had trades what they were actually worth mm-hmm. so if a firefighter was getting 20 dollars an hour so didn't have to have a second job so could work and ideally a 42 hour work week and then if he wants his lifted truck and his jet ski then he can go you know hang drywall wherever he wants to do sure. or she um, but you know, then that wouldn't be appalling that the person with minimal skills entering the workforce has that pay who can also now pay their bills mm-hmm. and maybe afford food that doesn't give them obesity, yeah. <laughs> um, that maybe all of us can rise up, yeah. you know, but again, you know, that was seen as what the fuck when, as you said, fire medics are getting 11 or nine. So I think the the message again is. We need to take care of the people that run this country because the people at Kroger, the people that you mentioned before, are the minimum wage employees, and they're the ones that ran the country while everyone else hid in their houses. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a there's a lot of balance in there, and a a lot of questions that you know. Obviously, I'm I'm not uh, (laughs) skilled enough to answer, but you know, when I hear uh, of a department like that county department and what those guys are making, I know all those guys are working, you know, 48, some, you know, they're leaving one job, going to the next job, going to the next job, and then maybe home to spend 10 seconds with their family for that to turn around and go back to their, you know, $10 an hour firefighting job. Yeah. And then probably die five years after retiring. Yeah. And you, you talk, I know you've spoken so many times about the sleep and, uh, the health, you know, what kind of damage are they doing to themselves, you know, and how do we expect those guys to stay on our on our fire departments and be the next leaders when they're like, mm, I'm out of here. And you see a lot of guys jump around in those departments. They, you know, they chase that extra buck 50 an hour. Why wouldn't you? A buck 50 an hour more may keep you from having to work that extra, you know, nine hours at some part time job, yeah. you know. So, yeah, they're going to chase. And when the next department raises another two bucks, they're going to jump to that fire department if they can. Or so, promote. And that's what we see yeah. as well, like you said. And then, yeah, you're almost forced to promote to get that extra bump in pay. Mm-hmm. Instead of having a burning desire to now want to be an officer and having, you know, really learn your craft. Yeah. yeah. Got to get the money. Yeah. yeah. So and that's the thing. It's what I found so many elements of this podcast is that – there's two sides. I mean, there's no better time to understand two sides than the last few months that yeah. we've witnessed. <laughs> but, you know, the middle ground is obviously saying, hey, no, you both element of elements of what both of you say are right. So is should there be ownership on the on the individual to eat well, to exercise, to have good sleep hygiene when they go home? Yeah. But are we creating an environment that's that's encouraging that and allowing them to thrive at work? If yes and yes, you're going to end up with incredibly healthy fire department. Mm-hmm. If one or both of those are are not that the case, you're going to end up with a lot of sick firefighters. And as I did for two years, burying firefighter after firefighter to the point where 
bagpipes make you want to punch someone in the face. Yeah. Yeah, they, you know, and you look. Um, yeah, I know it's it's not on the same topic, but and, and uh, I think it, I think New York's done a, a better job um, than other places would have. But how many of our guys are still dying from cancer from nine eleven? You know, and and they there's a they're kind of like the you know the, everybody always says the three forty three. Everybody remembers the three hundred forty three guys that died that day, but that uh that's still going on as we speak. There are guys still fighting for their lives from that one event well and the problem that i see now having the education that i have you know from experts not from my own brain <laughs> is you take someone who was exposed who mm -hmm. went through that mental trauma that that physical trauma that carcinogen you know mega dosing that they have and then you put them back on shift and you work them the same way when they're up so whatever opportunity they did have to reverse the process to be resilient is now being broken and broken and broken so you know you, you take the catastrophic event and then you you know you imagine as a sports person you know someone breaks a femur and you tell them now you got to play yeah. you got to come to practice <laughs> get, get back in there yeah it's the Suck same it thing up. eventually you're gonna you're just gonna break to the point of you know, no return so yeah without a doubt I, and that's what I, I you know i didn't i know we talked a lot after the last podcast and i had no idea how tired i was till i left the city i had no it's going to take me two years to get caught up on sleep it took me two Easy, years you know literally almost exactly and that was only 14 years in the fire service right. it wasn't like i was it's 30 just plus mind-boggling but i still operated like i was still good you know i thought well i think i was and i you know i was at work a couple i'd been at, at the new place a few i guess probably a couple weeks maybe a few months and i think we got up like two or three times after i went to bed i was useless the next day i used to run like five or six after midnight no problem that was a rough night Take a nap, you're good to go. Two or three wiped me out. I was I was wasn't worth killing the next day. I was so tired. I was like, well, I'm getting soft. <laughs> yeah. Well, with with your example, Todd, with the um the near miss, I was sitting there watching. Like, well, you know, the what was your night? You said you said you normally would have done the 360. There were things that you didn't do that night that you would have done. Yeah. What, what was that night before? You know what I mean? Was that one? It was of those an easy. It was early in the shift though. It was early in the evening. It wasn't like I'd been banging out all day and uh. Uh, I broke some of my normal tendencies and they, and I tell guys, you know, when they ask me these questions that even now, I don't know why I didn't do certain things. And I, you know, I, I even went back, um, you know, actually after listening to some of, some of your podcasts and stuff, I went back and tried to retrace what I was doing leading up to that. And it was pretty standard stuff. I, I wasn't working two jobs. I was literally just a land at that time. I was 24 hours and 48 off. Uh, my kids were out of the house. I didn't have any real outside stressors for whatever reason. And, I, and that's why I was kind of, I kind of go back to, I think I just was complacent in that very, you know, the, the very small window. But man, a lot of bad shit happens in a small window sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. So there's the chronic effect of, of, you know, shift work, but then there's the acuity effect. And I remember right before I retired from Reedy Creek, we went on a call and like you're saying that, that, that baseline inside you is coming lower and lower. So you, mm -hmm. you perceive I was fine that day. It was a quiet shift. But again, what, what is fine? Yeah. But we were on a call and, you know, you were joking about your engineer not knowing which way to go on. Yeah. That was how I was that day. And we had a call. It was, it was, you know, Disney's area. So I knew the area well. Uh. And I couldn't even remember if, if I had to turn left or right off the bay. <laughs> and I honestly right. was just freaking done. And, and we've had, he remembers my driver. I had, uh, 
couple of years ago. I mean, I literally have gotten up and I've done it driving. It's like you got up the next morning. It's like, where did we go last night? Like, mm-hmm. I know I ran four or five calls. I drove a half million dollar piece of equipment there with three other people on it. And I couldn't tell you where we went. Yeah. I've like, gone to write <laughs> my medic reports right? and I can't remember the patient. And I have to read, like, you know, the vials and everything. Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. That oh, was yeah, it. that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was like three hours before. But, yeah, it's it's scary because, again, you talk about being the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that's the fundamental thing. If you're not sleeping, everything's going to shit. Yeah, well, and it's, it's funny because I know some departments are still very, you know, uh, military. You can't have the TV on. You can't do this. can't do that. I ran um, kind of a 7 to 12 system. And that we did everything in that first window of the shift um, mm. because I didn't know what we were going to be doing at 2 a.m. Yeah. So after housework drill, you know, we did everything at lunch. I didn't care what the guys did. I wanted them to have that downtime. Uh, and you know, not every shift worked that way, but um, now and those guys got in that, they actually got a great habit and, um, they enjoyed right after drill, all of us eat lunch together and, and BS. And then I, you could hear snoring throughout the firehouse. And I let him, I did, I said, go get in your bed. I don't care at this point because I don't know what we're going to be doing later. And if it get, if they got that hour, two hour nap in or whatever they wanted to do, or just that enough time that they could work out in peace, they could watch TV or a movie or just chill out in the bay or whatever. I think it made a difference. You know, if, if, if there's chiefs or officers out there to think we have to be doing something from zero seven to five o'clock, they're idiots. They, I just do not believe that's the way, uh, one, it's not how you should be treating people. And two, that should always be in the back of their mind. Uh, what are we going to be doing at 2 a.m.? You know, I don't want four dragon ass firemen showing up at my house at 2 a.m. I want guys that have had a pretty good day and maybe got a few hours of rest that day and they're ready to rock and roll, you know, when they pull up to my place. And I think you'd feel the same way. And I think all of us would feel that. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's funny. I just flashed back to there was, uh, I think it was a captain or BC, I think, in uh, Orange County. And, and he'd come into the firehouse with a tick to see if anyone had had the TV on. Good God! Yeah, find, find something else to do. Exactly. Yeah, like, I don't know. Learn to use it in a fire. Let's just start with that. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they could came to my station. I, I think I, I'm supposed to text I, them. Which one we just text? Yeah, they were going. Yeah, they were going to go drop. Is there off. a uh, bathroom? Yeah, just there? pause it for a second. Yeah, yeah, just through the the whole way that we can. All right. Well, I actually have a. I'll, I'll start the question with you, and then and then we'll bring Todd in. Um, one of the things that he touched on, and I'll, I'll kind of restate the question when he gets back, um, when he's done checking his prostate, <laughs> um, is realism of training. And we did the the victim drag mm-hmm. scenario or example. You had, um, I believe his name was Mullet up on yeah. stage. <laughs> that's some great <laughs> Not magical, magical hair. Um, but, you know, it was very true. And it's something I've observed a lot. Hialeah did it very well. In their burn tower, they had all kinds of... Um, steel furniture that uh-huh. they would have and they had you know, interior stairwells and all kinds of shit sp- sprued around so that you were i think they might have even had um carpet down too but it made it realistic and versus right. as you talked about in the in the presentation you know the average burn building floor the average fire station bay um you know is smooth the bay might be that grip stuff these days but you know it, it's a completely different environment so talk to me about um kind of the messages that you try and pass on with realism of training and how to set 
a realistic training environment in a station, in a, a local training event? You know, uh, in the firehouse, I guess it's a little bit more difficult because you can't control the finished concrete floors in the bay or in, in you know, a lot of, uh, houses up there have terrazzo. So, you know, they run through the bay into the kitchen. It's all the same smooth flooring. Um, but we were just doing a walkthrough at, uh, an adjacent department's training center because we're doing our live burns in a couple of weeks. And so we were trying to figure up some training scenarios and they've got, uh, a barn, a, a four story pole barn they built that's, and two floors are set up like an apartment. There's couches in there. There's coffee tables. There's a TV, you know, um, the big thing is like, I, you know, and Todd mentioned it earlier, I think back to when I was starting and, and when I was in recruit school in Atlanta, you know, you go find this, this baby doll and they go stick it, you know, underneath 16 pallets on the second floor. I'm like, well, why is there a child underneath wooden pallets? Well, he was working the, uh, the forklift. And- <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and I get, I, I get as, especially as a brand new fireman, I get the need to try and search and around obstacles and, and be thorough be thorough but then you're like okay come on why are you why did you put an eight dollar baby doll you know in the attic of a burn building with a bunch of hay but then i think back to we had an apartment fire years ago we were assigned um a primary on the floor above mind you three or four minutes earlier when the first couple pieces of equipment got there they had people jumping off the second floor balcony so High probability, it was middle of the night, high probability that we might have had um, some victims. So we were searching and I literally was on my hands and knees because there was clothes like it's like somebody dumped out the entire dresser drawer full of clothes. And I was picking up shirts and pants and whatever else and like holding them to my face piece because I didn't know if I was grabbing clothes or I didn't want to miss an infant that might have been on this floor in an apartment. So, you know, trying to make it realistic. And that was when we were talking a few weeks ago Um at work, I was like, look, if we're going to run these drills, I was like, let's make them as real. Let's search. You don't have to go into a room like a bowl of China shop, flipping couches over, flipping, you know, and you also don't need to be searching behind a wall mounted TV because some jackass fireman threw the doll up on the wall and that's where it happened to land. You're not going to find a kid there, you know? So I think the big thing is, is, you know, getting people that have done the job, like good instructors to come up with good drills to come up with, you know, stuff that makes sense. You know, it, it just turning on. I remember doing like a ho- oh God when I first started, like you know, doing a four hundred foot spaghetti drill in a dark bay with all the heaters on them. That's that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. I don't know that ever I've ever crawled four hundred feet out of inch three quarter and had to crawl the whole way. But again, it teaches you to pay attention to what you're doing. So I guess there's there's those crazy drills that are dreamt up and far concocted that you're never going to do in real life is still going to teach you something. It's, it's paying attention kind of to stress detail. inoculation. Right. Based. And making sure you're hitting your couplings and you're going the right way and turning, you know, so yeah, some of them are crazy, but I think overall, you know, something's better than nothing for sure. You know, I think versus, you know, running crazy drills or running realistic drills versus sitting on the couch is, is much better than that. Yeah. You know, well, Todd, I was talking about realism and training, touching on, you know, the example you had with, uh, with that young man that you took up onto the stage. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, that was another in that I've seen my last place. The mannequin they use is the 60 pound one. Mm-hmm. That gentleman was probably pushing 260. Oh, yeah. No, you he know was a I mean? big man. Yeah. So, you know, what, what do you, what tools do you bring? What advice do you give to try and create more? realism in training because i was telling um danny when you were in the restroom 
my first apartment, Hialeah, outside of Miami, their burn bin, they had all this furniture in there mm-hmm. that was, you know, steel. So you could actually get it hot and it wouldn't, you know, break down. And they had interior stairwells. They had, you know, cupboards built in. So it was, it was amazing. Like you really had to search. Your, your hose management had to be on point because there were so many corners and pinch points. Um, but then conversely, you know, more recently, not just my last one, even the one before, they used the same burn building. It was just a wide open burn building. You know, so you, of course you're not going to get snagged on much because you're basically going to a warehouse. Right. So where, you know, how can departments, how can people listening try and um, uh, create more realistic scenarios as these actual homes that we find ourselves in that are nothing like a concrete open room? Yeah, and, I, and, I, and it's definitely a challenge. Uh, sometimes those challenges can be uh, is as complex as a budget driven thing where they don't have uh you know the department doesn't have a budget to you know have its own burn facility or burn building sometimes it's just a lack of imagination you know if you look around your firehouse you can get really uh one of the one of the true things i've always enjoyed about training was uh it's a great opportunity to be um creative in in doing drills and so we would find different ways, um, you know, going over to Home Depot and buying, you know, a 25 foot section of flex duck. Well, 25 feet of flex duck makes a whole bunch of wire. So, you know, talking about doing techniques to get out of entanglements, one thing, but actually full BA, zero viz, and then all of a sudden you're entrapped in wire. When's the last time you actually had to go and get your snips out of your pocket or you couldn't get them out? When's the last time you actually cut a fellow firefighter out of some flex duck? That's $25 investment by the company officer. Um, I do. And, you know, not, not telling guys to do this, but if I'm going to do, when we did our Raptor events training, we were very lucky to have an apartment complex and we came up with some very outrageous, um, scenarios where a firefighter may need rescued and one of them was i entangled myself as the chief i got up in the attic i wrapped myself in flex duck like i was you know up there working see you'd never find a chief in an attic he's looking for the baby in took him so long to find it like this is just chief but um but being in an attic it made them think and, it, and at the end of it, they, they, and it was funny, you know, I could hear everything and they were trying, they literally were coming up with some really interesting ways to try to get me out of that attic and out of the second floor apartment. Uh, one of them came up with, let's cut a hole in the roof and bring them up that way. I was like, oh boy, I hope they, <laughs> and they, they ended up opening up a huge hole and brought me down, you know, lowered me down off my uh, SCBA. But it was, it's, uh, again, a little imagination to make them think, and they were successful in the drill. If you go to Home Depot or some of the uh, other places, you can get carpet remnants for next to nothing. There's a big difference between dragging a guy on a bay floor and dragging a guy on carpet. Um, you know, we had, you know, so-called rules about going into vacant houses, which I always followed. No. <laughs> <laughs> If it I was did, vacant, we knew, we knew it was it was truly vacant. We did drills in those homes, you know, yeah. on carpet, That's on the best wet, thing nasty going. floors. Um, but we used each other as the victims. That uh, you know, dragging a, a mannequin where you don't care that you're grabbing it by its throat and dropping it two or three times. There's a huge difference when they're grab when you grab an actual person that you could actually hurt. 
uh, or take out a window. And I know there's risk involved there, and I get that for the safety Nazis. But um, how are they going to do it if they don't get the trail, if they don't drill on it? You know, and again, oh, we dropped the hose dummy. No, nobody cares. No, right. But a person on the head. It's a t- and you can see a different reaction. I, I was recently doing a program in a department, and they weren't expecting to find a live victim. And I, I was playing the role of victim, but it, when they located me, you could immediately see a difference in their the way they were uh, doing their search. As soon as they realized it was an actual human, they did everything differently. They worked better after they realized it wasn't a hose dummy, they actually were better at the drill at, with a human being than they were with the hose dummies. So it's interesting. Again, I think the, you know, the, the way our brains work um, is amazing to me. I, you know, I wish I knew more about it, but uh, I'm always amazed at how we can train our brains to do a lot of stuff, but we can also mistrain them mm-hmm. when you start talking about how do we do proper searches? How do we drag a, you know, a 50 pound person versus a 400 pound person? Um, yeah. The one thing too on like the firefighter, I don't mean to cut you off, like oh, the, no. the firefighter down mayday rescues. The thing that I think gets overlooked a lot or or rarely mentioned is if that happens, everything has gone to pot. Like it's going to be a nasty, shitty conditions, like worst of the worst. Not like grabbing, you know, a, God forbid, you know, grabbing a human being just that's got their, you know, welcome to Disney shirt on is one thing. But you talk about me or you know going, I'm two two thirty you know, fresh out of the shower, throw me in gear and then throw a collapse on top of it. Like it's not going to be an easy thing. So it's, it's great. And it's not bad stuff to learn how to package and to, you know, kick one leg up on your shoulder and undo their BA straps and do this and do that. But you're going to need to get them and go. It's going to be a dirty grab in my opinion. And it's going to, it's going to be bad. You know, you grab just a human out, just regular, you're smoked. Now throw, you know, 80 pounds of gear on somebody my size and the stress and the heat. I mean, when uh, Clark was trapped, he goes over in the in the class today. Like I couldn't imagine. I wasn't on the fire. I was off that night. Um, but I mean, you throw a slate roof. You know, God, I don't know how much debris he had on him. But the guys that were working to get him out are some of the biggest guys we've got on our department. I mean, monsters. And you know, they worked for fifteen solid minutes. And you know, a couple things that I don't know that we mentioned today or that Todd mentioned today is. He literally took his last breath as they pulled him out. Oh, he really? unclipped. His bottle was gone. And, and just just to underline that, so he he survived because of his own diligence with physical training and, yes, and actual opinion. training yep. and, and, and relaxation and drills. And then the people rescuing him were some of your rock stars too. Yeah, they were so some So the big... importance of fitness, that was the difference between a near miss and a line of duty. Yeah. And, and I'm not kidding. Like I said today, like this would have killed everybody, anybody else on the job. I, I can't think of another person that could have made a bottle last that long. And if I'm forgetting somebody, my apologies. But I mean – Clark is a guy, the dude hikes the Appalachian Trail every year. Like he's, he, <laughs> we were in a class together a couple of years ago. And after working, doing shoring all day for like 12 hours, he's like, hey, I'm going to go get a workout in. You want to go? And I'm like, no, I'm going to sit there, have, have a beer, take a nap. Dude ran a mile and a half back to the State Fire Academy, did Murph, and then ran back. Really? That's a kind, and after working for 12 hours, 
building shores. So like that's the kind of yeah, we're not really shape sure if he's dudes human in. Yeah, you know, he, and, I think he's at a he's at a different level than the average guy, no doubt about. It. And that's yeah, that's why I say in that class, thank God it was him. Mm-hmm. The best line ever. He he did a podcast <laughs> with some of the guys local, and he's like, I just remember thinking, God, I hope there's a better paramedic to work on me than I am. <laughs> you know, but that to be able to think about that and then retell it, you know, I don't know. I mean, this was like worst case scenario. Like, how do you get pinned to the floor? Face down. Face down, down, arms at your, your side. Lap. There's no, you know, there's no EA button on your radio to get. You can't get to his UAC. You can't get to any. I mean, he's just, I mean, worst case scenario. And then having hundreds of pounds of material burning on top of him. I just couldn't. I mean, yeah. it still boggles my mind that that he survived and, and with no worse injuries than he had. You know, but again, you know, that dude's the guy outside every afternoon in the middle of July. No excuses. He's outside doing a 45 minute obstacle course on air, smoking a bottle. You know, that's just that's what he does. He punishes himself for fun, (laughs) you know, but again, it paid off. And there's a balance. Like, I I was not that guy. Mm-hmm. I was trying to be that guy. You know, I was kind of heading that it way. It hurts, man. I had posters of him on my bedroom wall. <laughs> it hurts uh, to be like to do that. <laughs> but then, obviously, there's the other side, which is the rest and recovery. You know, we, we need, especially as we get older and further into the fire service, I found that, you know, I couldn't, I would do Murph, but actually it made it worse, not better. I wasn't offloading stress. I was adding stress. And I didn't realize till people educated me. But, yeah, I mean, understanding whatever intensity that is like if you don't have ownership of your fitness if you don't take it seriously you know i mean there's there's uh that one phrase that goes around would you want you rescuing you and i always tell well, I, I don't really care about me you know how would you feel if your family died because the rescue hadn't trained is the phrase that i use sure so you know whether it's yourself whether it's you know not making it up that 28 story building that was next to me and in, in where i last worked mm-hmm. and someone burning to death because you don't take your fitness seriously I mean, this, you know, the tale that you told and that near miss, if there isn't a cautionary tale for owning your fitness, I don't know right. if, you know, well, a better you, one. You did a couple on Grenfell. I mean, I couldn't imagine humping up ever how many floors that building was with gear on and not, I mean, those guys, that's just, that's crazy what they went through and how they, you know, thankfully they had who they had there and the leadership that they had there to allow them to keep pouring people inside that building, knowing that they were going to get people out. But, um, I mean, I don't know a whole lot of people on the job that can say they work out to the level that he does and can, I mean, every day I'm like, man, I probably should have done this. I should have done that, you know, but ah, man, I don't know. It's it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, he's the extreme, like Chad that I had on the show, um, my Gainesville brother, another just Terminator, cyborg, but you know, the rest of us just do our version of that. You know, none of, not all of us are going to be. You know, the fastest man on earth, the strongest man or woman right. on earth, you know, but you do the fastest, strongest version of yourself. Yep. But, you know, as, you know, as we know, and even as we saw today, kudos to everyone that was there today, but there were different body shapes and sizes today. Mm-hmm. You know, some were very young. So, you know, I think that's a very important message. And, you know, the, the resistance to annual fitness standards, one of the, I think it was a Navy SEAL was saying, in an ideal world, we don't even have standards because everyone just gets it and they take them to their fitness seriously. Right. The next best thing is to have standards that you hold to. Where we are in the fire service is we oppose standards. Our unions oppose fitness standards a lot of places, which is, you know, again, you result in a lot more bodies covered in flags that you get to stick in the ground. And there's other departments that actually uh, award the guys for meeting their fitness goals. And I I think that's a a better message Mm -hmm. uh, to me that – um, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, you know, some guys are just, you know, that guy, they're a little bit big or whatever, but man, if we could, you know, 
let's spend a little budget money on, you know, hey, let's reward this guy for meeting all the fitness standards that the department has set forth and encourage that behavior. Um, it's, you know, kind of like the minimum company standard crap, you know, um, I don't want minimum in my house, you know? No. <laughs> well, it's funny because the Florida, I don't know if it's the same in Georgia, but in Florida, we call our, our state standards, minimum standards. That's what it is. That's the majority. So it's in the fucking label. When right. you leave the academy, you know <laughs> almost you nothing. The minimum. Just enough. You know, and yet you hear, oh, I was in the best shape when I left the academy. Well, fucking shame on you. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You, you well, know you know, I mean? our buddy, uh, I actually have not met the guy in, in uh, Texas. Uh, he's like, man, what does it look like when you're fat and out of shape and at the grocery store, the citizens are looking at you like that? I never thought about it like that. And I'm like, wow, you know, it's, there's some people out there that are rough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, rough. and again, you some I've got several friends that are bigger guys and they will throw down. They'll, they'll outwork, they'll work circles around people that are in better shape. But again, like what's what standard are we setting? What do we look like to the public? What yeah. do we what um I'm not drawing the example, a blank. Yeah, the example exactly mm-hmm. that we're setting, you know. Yeah. Well also it, you care about their longevity. If they're gonna if they're gonna do all this, then you want them to to spend the shit out of their pension at the end of it too. Right. You know? And that's the thing that's so sad is it's a win-win. No one's saying, oh, you know, you should have abs. No, like you said, if you can work, it's beautiful. But I also don't want you to die two years after you get off the job. And I remember yeah. being fairly new in Atlanta and having a couple guys I never worked with and never knew that were dead within two years. You know, you, you see the retirement flyer and then there's a funeral notice a couple of years later. I'm like, that sucks. Like, I don't want to work for 30 years to get my pension to be done, be dead in five. Um, and in listening to a lot of your podcasts with Kirk Parsley and some of these other guys that are so focused on sleep and recovery, um, you know, that was a big deciding factor when I retired, you know, um, I, uh, that's not on my list of things that I, I don't want to die of a heart attack at, you know, 58 years old after working till I was 55. That's, that's terrible. One of my first captains I had downtown, his dad has been retired from the FDNY, I think since like 73, Beautiful. he's like 94 years old, dude, still getting a check. I mean, that's what you want. That's what I want, you know? And, and, you know, again, the call volume now is getting so crazy. I don't know any places that are getting slower. Everybody's getting busier. We're having to justify everything to the bean counters that are, you know, to, so the call volume goes up because we're running more calls. We're running COVID calls. We're running chest pains. We're running, you know, toothaches because an ambulance isn't available. The call volume is going up, which means your sleep levels going down. Like we're just, it's a, it's a vicious cycle that needs to be broken some kind of way. But, um, you know, again, listening to a lot of the podcasts you've had, uh, you've done, um, that's a huge thing. And that was a big deciding factor was leaving a busy ass engine in Atlanta and going to where I work now to run a fraction of the calls. I joke with the guys every morning I wake up and I've got a sleep tracker on my Apple watch. I get up and I'm like 88% fellas. Like I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> now my goal is to set sleep records. Like I'm trying to see how much sleep I can get when I'm at work, but it's made, you know, it made my home life significantly better. I'm not as big of an asshole as I normally am. Still pretty big, but, um, you know, you want me to call her, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it's just, man, it changes. It's a game changer. Yeah. Well, that's why I wrote the book too, is, is to try and put that ownership piece on, but also paint the picture. Like this job is trying to kill you. 
And oh, it's, yeah. it's making you fat and it's taking away your motivation and it's fucking with your testosterone, you know, and, and your brain chemistry. It's, it's causing you to be depressed and everything. Right. Like the 56 hour work week and, you know, that kind of arena, it's setting up for failure. So it's not about shaming the bigger firefighter. The one that doesn't care, absolutely get them out of the profession. Right. They got no business being there. The one that does, that wants to be where they were before, that's the one that we need to empower. I mean, we need to empower everyone. But say, this is what's happening. This is what's going on in your body when you're not sleeping, when you're stressed, when all these things. So once you understand that and own that, you stop blaming yourself. Now you can start working, like you said, sleep, nutrition, whatever it is, and start chipping away at these things. Just turn, you know, turn the ship and get yourself to where and you want to be. that's the thing. Is like, those are all factors that we can control. You know, we had a guy that I worked with downtown that, I mean, he, he and I were riding together one day and he literally walked probably 75 feet from the breakfast table to the apparatus we were on that day and was like, I could hear him breathing. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> what's wrong with it? What, what the fuck? What's going on? He goes, oh, that's normal. And I'm like, no, that is not normal. I can hear you breathing. Like he's. Yeah, it's not normal. And, and this same, you know, every time there was a, every time year during our yearly physicals, he was off and they let it ride. Yeah. You know, God bless him. You know, hell of a nice guy. I just, I, I hope he doesn't end up dead. You know, there's just, there's. There's no, you know, again, certain people have issues. Certain people have, uh, what's the gland issue you get when you, um, thyroid stuff that, you know, they can't control their weight, you know, but then there are the majority of us that can, you know, and control what you eat, control how much you sleep. You know, there's, there's a lot of factors that, you know, people just get lazy and, you know, whatever, but yeah, it's a, that's not, I don't, I don't want to work my entire life to be dead in five years after I retire. That's just not. That doesn't sound like fun at all. <laughs> no. Well, and I know, like I've, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast too. Nearly all of us started on day one, standing on a diamond, standing on a grinder somewhere in pretty damn good shape. Mm -hmm. Some of the more resilient mental, physically, you know, human beings in that community. So now when you look at the police departments and the fire departments, some of these where we are very heavy, that's not because you're the average citizen. You came from much higher degree of health mm -hmm. and fell that far down you know so it should scare the shit out of you and it yeah. should make you want to change and like you said if you don't want to okay. record again we are recording one more time all right so um one last thing before we wrap up todd um I, as you saw on the news i had chris nickich on the show who is a young man with down syndrome who is motivated by meeting a hot smoking blonde from minnesota as he puts it <laughs> Um, who just completed the Ironman triathlon, which is the triathlon, you know, mother of all triathlons. Um, so tell me about, you know, your, your perspective of that being, you know, working with the Downs community. And then also, are there any areas in the class that you do, you know, educating us on working with patients or detaining people with special needs that, that you've added or, or kind of focused on this last year since we talked? Yeah. Well, uh, first, obviously, uh, amazing absolutely amazing that uh he that any well it's amazing to me anybody completes that but uh the fact that and i and i, and I think that it, it's funny that story's got you know quite a bit of play and and everything but at the end of that always I, I kept thinking to myself the whole time this is another man completing a dream and a goal and he earned it and him having down syndrome didn't make a difference 
And I, I think it's one of those uh, huge teachable moments for all of us that don't quite understand people with autism and don't quite understand people that do have Down syndrome, that they're more capable of things than we give them credit for. And I do believe that. So in the one of the things we do in the class uh, that you mentioned that we did the podcast before about is we have added some things uh, about the communication aspect and, and hopefully those tips are, will help both our, you know, our firefighters. We've, uh, even talked even more about, uh, some search and rescue, uh, things, uh, when we're searching for people with special needs, they may have very unique hiding spaces. And so those are a lot of the things that we're still working on. We're still learning. You know, it, it's, it's always amazing to me when I, after I complete a program and I was telling, uh, Sean about, uh, a firefighter right in our, in my own county whose son sleeps in a very unique bed. Uh, and it's to keep him safe at night because he, he tends to get up and leave his room and wander the house. So he has a bed that, Almost resembles kind of like the uh, small child playpen, but it's a full size bed that he sleeps in. So those are little things that we can all learn from, and in uh, our firefighters, our, our interactions with our you know our firefighters and our police officers are it's limited these interactions, but when we do have them, they can be very intense uh, moments, and we want to make sure we do know how to make those communications and and uh, treat these people with the respect they deserve, just like all of us deserve. Absolutely. Well, if anyone's been listening to heavy breathing in this interview, <laughs> that's my German Shepherd that's been clamoring all over these two the, the whole time. The coolest German Shepherd I've ever been around in my life. It's not me getting really excited about the interview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty much just laying in our laps now while yeah. we're talking. Yeah, she's all, all teeth when you first walk through the door, and now she's oh, like, yeah. All right, well, Good I want to transition to where people can find you so I can let you get on and go hang out with the guys that you were training today. Um, so where is the best place online to find you and Mission Resurrection? Yeah, so we we have a, a Facebook page called Mission Resurrection, uh, and we're I'm really close. Uh, again, having an intelligent wife uh, kind of runs things for me and Danny. We're, we just kind of <laughs> go around and run our mouths, and she does all the real work. But uh, we'll have a website up soon. It'll be under our other company name, which is the Fire Life Training Emblem, and then Mission Resurrection. We have another site off of there. One of the unique things that we do both with the Facebook page and we'll be doing with the web page is that we're not just promoting Danny. We're not just promoting Todd Edwards. We're promoting a lot of our other partners, and we promote the County Fire Tactics team and and uh, other training groups all over the country because. I don't know all the answers. Danny doesn't know all the answers, but I guarantee I can probably find somebody that has answers for you. Uh, so we, yeah, we, we've really partnered up, uh, with, you know, anybody and everybody that we feels really legit. And I think that's going to be a positive moving forward. Um, and, and we promote conferences and those type of things. Our page isn't about us as much as it is great information. Um, uh, from all over the country, you know, and I'll, I'll download and, and share articles, um, from all over the place, no matter where it is. And if I think it'll benefit somebody, then you'll see it on those, uh, those contacts right there. And obviously on my, uh, the, on the Facebook page, all our contacts information's out there as well. So 
We any any questions people have for us, they can always reach us. That's for sure. I, I think. Well, they know how to yeah. reach Danny. He's got eight thousand followers. He's got a hashtag too. Yeah, so uh, hashtags. It's kind of a big deal. Hashtags. <laughs> hashtags and stickers. <laughs> yeah, it's you know the the cool thing. Um, yeah, I had a guy call me from. You're eating my wedding ring, dude. Um, <laughs> Nanny, come here. Todd, come here. stop chewing on my fingers. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, a guy from. I don't recall if he was city of seattle or um just outside of seattle washington just messaged me on facebook the other day he's like hey man i got a couple questions for you can you call me when you have a second i'm like yeah I, that's that's been really cool and and uh, you know again I, as i told you before the last podcast the outpouring of support was awesome but yeah facebook instagram messenger email you know we're there so if you need anything again if we you know may not be able to f- i don't have the answer for sure but i'll find it for you hopefully or give you something to talk about maybe beautiful <laughs> so. well i want to say thank you so much um thank you for inviting me to see the class it was incredible it was kind of cool actually being retired and sitting there and you know just i don't know just looking at it from a slightly different perspective one that a i don't have anyone i have to answer to now which is nice but it even fired you know lit a fire in me because i've wanted to keep doing vmr i want to keep doing obviously i'm gonna keep my medic up um, because you never know you never right. know you might stumble across something you know you might go back in the fire service one day who knows but yeah it was a great great class many many lessons learned a lot of humility which you know obviously that's why you are where you are now um so thank you for being so generous and coming again today and sharing your story absolutely thank you for having us man. yeah thank good you. to finally awesome. meet you this is great yeah, in feel person, honored. not yeah, just feel re- a phone call or email. <laughs> <laughs> no, just I still, again, you know, it's just surreal. You know, as many podcasts I've listened to, you know, in the last year, and and being able to sit down here and do it um, in person with these cool as hell. This is great. These aren't autographed. Oh yeah, we need autographs. I'll sign them for you. Yeah, well, yeah, we're we're going to have signed <laughs> copies of James' book. So looking forward to reading that. Yep. And maybe we'll have to go. This, not not the book's going to put me to sleep, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to open this and start, probably start reading it this evening. Even. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm excited to actually get into it now. So, Brilliant. This is awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thank you.